0: Welcome, everyone, to the AI in Business podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, senior editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest on the program is Adam Oberdick, lead director of asset protection at CBS Health. Adam has over 15 years of experience in asset protection across the retail sector for such name brands as Kmart, Target, and Nike. He joins us on today's program to talk about how asset protection workflows have changed over that time, thanks to AI capabilities, and how these technologies are changing conversations between asset protection teams and retail leaders. Throughout, Adam is going to give direct insight into the signals and narratives that compel seed suites to act on loss prevention insights from new data tools. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Adam, thanks so much for being on the program with us this week.
1: Great to be here. Really appreciate the invite.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. We've talked to you know a couple of folks across retail in terms of loss prevention and asset protection. You've worked across this whole industry in asset protection, Target, Nike, a lot of name brands. You're working for CVS Health right now, so feel free to pull across that journey here when I ask this. But what do you see as the biggest challenges currently facing retailers when it comes to asset protection? both in the online space and in brick and mortar?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And there's a lot to unpack probably there. And I think probably requires a little bit of of kind of context and contextual history, right? Where you see the evolution of asset protection kind of catching up to the retail industry now. I think it's always has been surprising to me how many people have just sort of fallen into asset protection over the course of their careers, right? Almost inadvertently you become an LP professional, where I think now that at least, especially over the last few years that that has sort of shifted into, this is a full blown profession, right? This is something that people want to do and actively search to go out and do And I think you're starting to see this evolution of loss prevention, asset protection, risk, and security evolve now with the business risk. And as the business business risk complexity continues to increase, so to the value of asset protection and our shift into profit protection, right? And starting to look at how we impact the entire organization and not just one particular thing. So with that context in mind, the next few years is making sure that we can continue to evolve and be proactive with where the business is heading. I think if you think about self checkouts, buy online, pick up in store, omni-channel risks, mobile checkout, like these are the things that for most retailers and most AP teams in the industry are coming in at the tail end of these implementations or integrations, right? And, And has been for quite a few years, which allows us, or I'm sorry, kind of pushes us into a place of reacting and playing catch up. And I think that's going to be one of those areas that we have to continue to work with our senior leadership and C-suite to stay in the forefront of those things to look at how do we invest in technology early on, something that we typically haven't done a very good job of across the industry is having that two, three, four, five-year strategy of investment opportunities of here's where we're going and how we're going to do it and be a part of that innovation and technology roadmap with the business. So I think catching up and staying on top of it and being proactive and evolving with the business it's going to continue to be a challenge. And most of the industry right now is is having sort of this resurgence in retail in-store shopping and has been now for a couple of years. But with that, we've seen increases in crime, organized retail crime. Obviously, shrink is up across several different sectors of the industry, which again, points to this area of, are we innovating to stay on top of that and in front of that? And are we evolving with those different adverse actions, right? And things that we haven't necessarily done very well over the past two years. So I don't want to speak for everybody, but I think just generalizations as, as we kind of look across the industry, that's sort of what I'm seeing. But I think that is going to be a big piece of it.
0: Absolutely. Before we continue on where things will go and and just still looking at your career, I just found it very fascinating, you know, how you led investigations at Target and even just kind of staying in problems, kind of the history for a little bit before we move into the future. I know a huge space where AI has kind of come in and revolutionized things is in investigations. Can you give us a little illumination into, you know, especially from the anomaly detection side, what investigations in the asset protection space look like today than even they did like 10 years ago?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's that's another great question. And I would say there's several things that have changed in investigations. I think if, if you even think about the very basic level of how we're even capturing information, right, and think about all the tools and technology and resources that we have available to even capture the right information on an event or an incident, whether that be someone manually putting it in, but now we even have technology and software and platforms that will automatically log cases for us and are already start doing that. So I think it starts there, right? Like that's been a major shift of just capturing the correct information. The second piece in my mind is, is what we're doing with that info, right? How are we sharing that information now across not only law enforcement professionals, but also other retailers? In building large cases, right? It's becoming increasingly difficult to prosecute cases, especially when it comes to external theft and organized retail crime. And I think you're seeing that concerted effort of some really great retailers who are saying, hey, let's let's not keep this to ourselves anymore. Let's make sure that we're sharing this information appropriately so that we can work together and build a case where law enforcement or our prosecuting attorneys and our communities are able to then get after it and do something tangible with that information. So I think that that is another big way to do it. And there's some groups that are doing it really well. Standardization of reporting and information. I mean, 10 years ago, you would absolutely say that every retailer is capturing information a little bit differently. And that makes it really difficult for law enforcement and prosecuting attorneys to put a collection together to actually go after a group. And so now you're starting to see the standardization of resources as well. So I think that those things have, have really changed in the way that we're looking at information and in the way that we're capturing those things and going after it. AI, now to get kind of get back to your original question, AI is now doing a lot of that stuff for us. So there's some really cool platforms out there that are collecting that information for us and building cases for us making those connections and doing different types of you know, cross-examination to say, hey, this case that happened over here looks a lot like this case you just had. Let's make sure we get some manual eyes on this and say, is this something that we need to pursue going forward, and how would we get this to the right people to make a tangible action on it? So I think there are a lot of really cool tools and resources that are coming available, and we're catching up now with that technology.
0: Absolutely. I think a de siloing effect is something we're seeing across just about all sectors when it comes to AI, almost despite the specific AI capability, though it tends to center a lot on on machine learning. But we see it in healthcare, yeah. we see it in financial services that walls are starting to come down between departments, especially from the data perspective. I want to go back to something you had mentioned before, especially about, you know, getting executive and leadership C-suite buy-in to, you know, investing in the tech early on. You also mentioned how, you know, you're getting Better signals as far as organized crime goes. We had Chris Nelson, SVP of loss prevention at, at gap on the program. I think I mentioned something to that effect about a moment ago. He was telling us how, and he comes from a background of the military, just to your point on, you know, how all roads are kind of leading to asset protection. But he comes from a military background and then, you know, in-store security and then, and then got acquainted to data. And he, he fully admitted he's got, you know, those natural, you know, kind of military police biases that aren't entirely conducive to kind of, you know, business procedure of, you know, if you build the walls so high that the that, you know, no fraudsters or or, you know, or no criminals can affect the bottom line, then you're also shutting out a lot of customers and a lot of business. All that said for his bias, he was talking a lot about how, you know, a lot of the more extreme signals or at least the signals that are becoming most apparent in data point is directly at you know kind of these super villain you know the most organized is that the most organized kind of like in online and brick and mortar co- coordination is that what you're seeing on on your end or what are the more blaring signals that we're seeing from the latest integrations of data into asset protection workflows
1: yeah yeah yeah. it's it's an interesting insight and you know I would mostly agree that Especially when yeah. you look at how we're conducting really large investigations and making sure that we are maintaining a healthy consumer journey and environment as they shop, whether it be in store, online, across whatever retailer you want to name, it, it has a lot to do with it, right? Making sure that we're focusing on those extreme cases of of ensuring we're not getting hit for something very large. Now that being said, I think there's a couple of different things to kind of unpack there. One, AI in yeah. the digital space is is still far and away ahead of what we're doing in the retail space right? and within brick-and-mortar, and the way that they're able to make decisions and actions and give us the right information to ensure that we're making the right decisions right, is far and away from what I've seen better than what we're doing brick-and-mortar in-store. It's also guiding the way that we're setting mm-hmm. up platforms from the very beginning, which is a different way of architecting solutions than what we're seeing in brick-and-mortar, where I can say we can put in a new fraud rule or a fraud tool, but it has to happen within X amount of milliseconds because we have a a 500 millisecond threshold of how we need to have an approval for a consumer shopping, whether it be in our store or online, right? So it's guiding even the way that we're looking at setting up solutions. So AI and machine learning continues to be a huge driver from that space. But I almost want to say that it's, it gets to a point where you're almost death by a thousand paper cuts, right? Where you're going after these very large cases, and that's true. And we've gotten really good at being able to understand those signals and to look at those things, whether it be online or in brick and mortar. But it's when you start looking at all the things that have been deprioritized, right, or all the thresholds that we may have bad actors just approaching that limit or just at that line, And what are we missing across all of those low volume, low risk, right? Low indicator Mm -hmm. types of investigations or stores or events or incidents that start to add up. And when we're talking about shrink deterioration over the last couple of years, that's one main reason for it, is we have to find a way to not only continue going after that really big stuff that's killing us from a, a huge value perspective, but when you've got a lot of locations and a lot of different things happening, Some of that small stuff can add up really quickly and really impact you if you're not careful about it so how do we use ai to also solve for those types of things and we're still getting used to this like it's still something that we're playing around with you'll talk to some retailers and they've got so much data that we don't know what to do with it all and then we talk to other retailers and we can't capture it seems any relevant data and so we're still trying to bridge that gap between the two and find what is that right balance and how do we support Mm -hmm. the business in the right way? And so everyone's sort of at a different space in it right now.
0: Yeah and and even you know for the latest and greatest systems I mean there's still that distance between all our signals are showing you know the worst of the worst the super villains but that's not really tied to the business value at, at the bottom line and, and let me ram home you know the part of my my last question in terms of executive buy-in what signals do you find are most compelling to business leaders. You mentioned shrink, but I'm wondering also, what are the signals behind that that really motivate them? I know, you know, the supervillains, it encourages this thought of, well, if we go after them, we're going to hurt a lot of customers. So so what are the, what are the signals that move the C-suite?
1: Yeah, it, that's going to come down to a lot of consumer journey, consumer friction, right? When we're talking about how much friction yeah. are we putting on the consumer? What is that percentage of consumers that are getting caught up? in decisions where we're trying to impact bad actors instead right there's always going to be a little bit of overlap Mm -hmm. and good consumers and good paying consumers that get caught up in that crossfire which i think we need to be extremely mindful of but you know from a digital space or an omni-channel space you're going to be looking at consumer journey consumer friction time it takes for them to get through the actual process what is their interaction with our 2FA or whatever else it might be in conjunction with the solutions that we have. like Those are the types of things that really make a difference when we're trying to tell a story and put in a new solution when we're talking to senior leadership. When you get into brick and mortar, it it kind of shifts a little bit, right? Because the needs are different. We have different voices and different employees Mm -hmm. and consumers that are impacted for the most part. Now we start talking about what are the safety implications? What are the employee journey implications at the same time? Do we have enough labor to stand up the type of solutions that we're talking about? What is this going to do to our overall layout of a store or format of a store, how a consumer interacts not only with our product and with our location, but also with our employees? And so those are the types of stories and journeys and indicators that our senior leaders And at least the last few companies that I've been a part of are wanting to see, right? Mm -hmm. We know that there is an acceptable level of risk that the business is willing to take when you talk about shrink or P&L deterioration or whatever else it might be. But it's those tangible things that you can actually go into a store and touch and feel that make a big difference with that storytelling.
0: I love the brick and mortar and physical space angle of your answer, especially because it helps me really tee this up from the digital side. But a conversation we had with Instacart COO Asha Sharma recently really highlighted from how the digital side of things in terms of friction, you know, a lot of business leaders look at personalization. Of the digital experience is kind of the front line to fighting fraud in this way, especially with something of like you know keeping a low friction environment. So I'm I'm just wondering what conversations maybe that you've had with business leaders when it comes to personalization on the digital side to reduce this friction. Because I feel like that last answer really covered brick and mortar very well, and I'm just I'm just seeing how you how you look at things from the digital space in terms of of lowering friction. So
1: there's a couple of different things that we're able to do in the fraud space we are able to get data at a much more granular level to identify Mm -hmm. bad actors, or I guess a better way to say that is we're able to identify what good behavior versus bad behavior looks like a lot easier and a lot more effectively and efficiently in digital and omni-channel than we would in brick and mortar. We have the artificial intelligence and machine learning to analyze those transactions and to have that manual input to verify or validate Those assumptions within the machine to also say, this is the behavior that we're looking for, right? Whether that be good or bad. Mm -hmm. We add all those things up, and that's how we're able to really dial that in from a fraud fighting perspective. And when we're talking with our senior executives and with our C suite or whoever else it might be, we're able to show them those parameters that say, this is the amount of employee, or I'm sorry, the amount of consumers that we're going to impact negatively with this rule change, right? Or with this friction that we're adding Mm -hmm. in versus this is the amount of bad actors that we're going to stop. And we're putting that ownership and that decision-making on our senior leadership to be able to say, we're willing to go that far or we're willing to pull back this much or accept this level of risk based off of that. So from a personalization standpoint, we really are, excuse me, we really are able to dial that in down to whatever parameter we choose from an individualistic perspective. And I don't want to, you know, it, it's down into, yeah. you know, you guys know this, it's it's looking at different types of email addresses and locations, right? From a geography yeah. standpoint, I mean, we're able to really dial that in personally to say this is the acceptable level of risk that we're willing to take for whatever rule we're implementing.
0: Right, right. And, and, and Chris Nelson was mentioning how, you know, even tying in, you know, telemetry data from, The brick and mortar locations like you see the the same the same vehicle in three different parking lots. And does that tie into anything we're seeing on the digital side? I think that's absolutely fascinating. But I just want to clarify on your last answer is a lot of that, you know, getting that executive buy in, just like getting the data that really clarifies that trade off and really delivers like a, a reliable prediction for what that trade-off's going to be down the line, or do you already have, based on history, kind of a clear idea that it's that it's going to go this way?
1: Yeah, I think we're able to. I mean, our modeling has gotten a lot better. Our platform. I should. I shouldn't say yeah. our. I should say the the vendor solutions, the platforms, right, have gotten Very tremendously cool. better at modeling, where we're able to even start to assume what would this rule change do based off of this sales trajectory. Right. Or even if you're starting to mm-hmm. talk about a very specialized retailer, we have this product launch coming up. How would we be able to impact it with these rule changes and what impact would that have on mm-hmm. good paying consumers versus bad actors and that behavior? So when we're talking and we're storytelling or we're going over strategy with senior leaders and understanding what their goals are, what they're trying to achieve, and what the latest feedback from consumers has been, we're able to tailor solutions real time almost. Right much different than we have in the past Mm -hmm. to be able to suit whatever that particular method of motorology is, right? And in terms of what the Mm C-suite is looking to achieve there.
0: Yes, absolutely. Just while we have a a few minutes, I'm so glad you mentioned vendors and especially in the context of conceding that, of course, you know, retail, it's a little bit of an older industry. It's catching up to digitalization uh, more so than most sectors. You know, obviously, that's going to mean, you know, a lot of retailers are, are looking for third party vendors, especially when it comes to models. Any advice, you know, just writ large beyond any sector in terms of, you know, your experience working with third party vendors and really vetting a model and a potential solution? solution in these spaces that anything you wish you knew when you were younger (laughs) when it it came to this predicament? You know,
1: I think what I've learned over the last few years, maybe even several years, is just how much we should be relying on solution providers, right? And I know that it used to be a lot of You know, this this client and vendor relationship and you go to expos and sometimes that can seem really overwhelming or not adding a lot of value. But the relationships that you build with those solution providers and those vendors really does make your job a lot easier, whether it be through a role change, whether it be changing companies. Right. You rely on those vendor solutions that you've built relationships with and bring them along with you. And that makes telling stories a lot easier to be able to say, hey, here's this thing that we want to do to impact X, Y, Z. And we're bringing in this leading vendor or really bringing in this leading provider or leading consultant, they're going to help us. And those are the guys and the folks that have seen it done at countless number of retailers and throughout the industry and know what works yeah. and really relying on them to say, here's the, or for us to go, here's the problem. and Relying on them to say, let us guide you, let us give you some direction, let us show you what's worked based off of the situation that you're facing right now, and then here's how we're going to set you up with a roadmap for the future, right? And so, if you build those right relationships and identify those right few folks that you can lean on, they're going to help you get through that, right? And whether that be a major consultant or a major solution provider, that's one of those things that has been, you know, imperative, you know, over the success of the last few years of what we've been able to achieve. So I think. You know, that's the caveat that I would give there is that, you know, really make sure that mm-hmm. you're honing in on on just those few different folks that you want to rely on, but they can really make your job a lot easier.
0: Right. And really help with with that buy in factor that we were talking about before and telling stories. Adam, I know we're right up along the line of our allotted time. Thank you so yeah. much for being Thank with us again. on the podcast yeah. this
1: week. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks. It was great spending time with you.
0: I really did not plan on this episode to be so focused on winning executive buy-in in in retail spaces, especially when it comes to loss prevention. But that's exactly what Adam's experience really speaks to, and I think it's been really illuminating, especially for the retail leaders who are tuning into today's show. If you're interested in other programs on the AI and Business Podcast that deal in executive buy-in, don't forget to check out our Wednesday series, End of Every Month, starting in May 2023. You can go back into our catalog on podcast.emerge.com. That's podcast, singular, no extra S. To find episodes on winning executive buy-in featuring Amoresh Tripathi of Genpact, Dorothy Lee of Convoy, and Brett Greenstein of Cooper. Also, don't forget to check out our recent retail series, I Name Dropped, His name quite a bit and his position on today's show. We had a great episode with Chris Nelson, Senior Vice President of Asset Protection at Gap Incorporated, that really was a linchpin for today's show. That's part of a special series we did with Riskified, sponsored by Riskified, looking at all applications of AI in the retail space. Very, very illuminating episode, especially where we're dealing with loss prevention and asset protection. On behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge, thanks so much for joining us today and we'll catch you next time on the AI and Business podcast.